We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Stefan Diggs and Jarvis Landry come back to life. Wayne Gallman stars for the Giants and Chris Godwin goes off. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Quick note before this week's episode kicks off, I was away all last week. Our cat, Henry the Cat, who loves to make his way onto the show, got checked on a couple of times but was more or less alone for six days straight. He does not like being alone. As it is, he's upset about the performance of his fantasy team, drafted OJ Howard, drafted Andrew Luck, drafted Stefan Diggs, drafted Saquon Barkley, Drafted Tyreek Hill. Drafted a lot of players who things are not working out for. He decided to really make his presence known during the recording of this show. Crying a lot in the background, causing a ruckus, and at one point removing the microphone from the computer. Thus, the change in audio quality halfway through. I apologize for that, and I appreciate you sticking through to the end of this episode. So, it's good to be back, but I would have preferred Henry to remain a little more composed. Alright, here's the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by my bookie, Harry's and Indochino. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm back this week. Huge thank you to Ryan Collinsworth for holding things down last week. Did a tremendous job. And I will be joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, a man that refers to himself as an oracle. How are you doing, Matt? 
Uh, I'm good. I don't refer to myself as Oracle. Uh, just if, if other people call me that, that's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with them. I'm not gonna be rude. But uh, no, yeah, it's obviously the name is uh, in jest and uh, referring to the league. Uh, Matt F. The Oracle is the kid from the first episode. So yes, I do not think I'm an Oracle. I'm just <laughs> making a pun on a uh, TV show from a decade ago. Yes. Well, I actually don't think we. We may have talked about that one time actually live on a podcast. So for anybody that was not aware of where that comes from, they now know. I will say, though, Matt, you have at points been a prophet of sorts. However, we now have a quarter of the 2019 season behind us. What is your biggest preseason regret so far? Oh, that is uh that's a good question. Uh, I don't live with regrets, so I don't have any <laughs> preseason regrets. No, I think my biggest regret is probably um, it, this isn't like a a grand uh, big picture one, but um, go ahead. Let me let me rephrase yep. this. Um, I think I was probably too willing to um, go hardcore zero RB in too many leagues. Um, and I think the extent where you see that the most is in our FFPC team for sure. Um, so that is my biggest preseason regret. Um, just, I don't know, like I tend to be kind of a wimp when it comes to drafting and I like to try to address the running back position early and feel pretty safe there, uh, and then go with wide receivers. But we just went really naked at the running back position. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the inability to find running backs later in the draft uh, and like my uh, instinct that there might be some of those guys available. Like that's my biggest preseason regret so far. Yeah. Well, I think in specific in that league, there's a couple of things going on. One of which is one of the players that we filled into those early round picks being OJ Howard did not show up, um, which has been a bit of a problem. Then also, in a league that's a main event league, we may have underestimated the ability to find players that would come out of the woodwork as pretty much anybody that we could think of that we felt good at their uh, possibility of becoming a breakout type of guy was already rostered. And then we're playing against people that are all over it as well. So perhaps we should have made an adjustment for the level of difficulty of the league. Um, and it's not looking like one of those players like Alexander Madison that we filled into the squad is going to have that breakout anytime soon. Uh, we should mention, though, we actually had such a dire running back situation that Darren Sproles, who was the topic of debate for us at the end of the draft, actually had to get rostered and play for us. You know, OK, actually, I have thought of biggest preseason regret, but it's still not even regret. It's just um, thing I got wrong. Uh, Juju. I got Juju wrong. Um, I'm not the only one who got Juju wrong, but, um, you know, I was really, uh, really onto the potential for him to have a a breakout season, uh, building on what he did last year. And like last year was a breakout season. So this would have been like a super star breakout type of season. And it obviously didn't happen. And, And I actually don't think it has all that much to do with Ben Roethlisberger's absence, although that obviously contributes to it. Um, I think it was just not going to happen anyway. Yeah. I hate to admit admit that i think that's accurate um hey your audio is different than it was oh that's the the damn cat all right hold on okay henry what did you do as i was saying 
with Schuster, I can kind of agree before Roethlisberger went out and they brought in Rudolph, it started to already seem like our expectations for Juju were just not going to come to pass. Um, so that's a bummer. I really wish that we would be able to see how things played out, but I can kind of say that I'm all right taking the L on that one. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is DeAndre Hopkins at this point, as we'll get to, has not been that stellar either. Um, so, you know, I think that the little argument that we had with Mr. Fantasy Mansion, the correct answer might be that it's neither of these players. But yeah. we will get... I think yep. also one more... Uh, I wouldn't, again, wouldn't say regret, but like a sadness uh, or something like that. Uh, will Fuller, you know, like attached to DeAndre Hopkins, like he really hasn't done anything uh, but he's had his opportunities. You know, he's had the deep targets. They just haven't been able to connect, but he's getting the air yards. I think there's still hope for him in a way that there isn't so much hope for Juju. Like Juju could still get the volume, but he's not going to have like the eruption season. Fuller from here on out, because he's still getting the deep targets. If they start to connect, he could still have some massive games. So I think there is some hope for him, but it hasn't looked good so far. Yeah, and this was something we we're going to talk about later. But um, now that we're talking about Fuller, I'll mention it. I can see how the casual observer would be inclined to think that the presence of Kenny Stills has changed things for Fuller. But if you look at it, Stills has pretty low air yards. Fuller's are still pretty high. And if you look at the positions on the field where Stills is getting his targets, they're all at very short distances, the majority under 10 yards. Fuller's are still in the intermediate to long sections. He still had a lot of throws deep downfield. The difference is, we just have not seen this massive efficiency that he's had before, and he and Watson haven't really connected on the splash plays. So I'm with you at some point. I think that we can still see those start to hit. Um, it's been a down season, but if you're thinking that it has to do with stills, that's really not the case. His workload has looked similar to how it has in the past. Perhaps now we're just starting to see him come down back to earth in terms of that efficiency. I have not given up hope for him, though. So with air yards in mind, I wanted to do a quick little review of the top players in air yards. And I think that you will like the player at the top of the list. And it is Mike Evans with 145 air yards per game. That is very strong. Are you sure it's not uh, Chris Godwin? I'm sure. What a surprise. I thought Chris Godwin <laughs> was the number one receiver on his team. I, I mean, and again, it's not as if I'm down on Chris Godwin. I think he is awesome. And I think the, I mean, the bucks, we really saw them on full display uh, in week four. I mean, they really have two number one wide receivers. Um, but yeah, Evans really uh, has flashed in the last two weeks. It's not a surprise at all um, that he leads the, the league in air yards per game. Um, they're targeting him deep pretty much as much as they can. Um, and it does help that Chris Godwin is operating in the middle of the field to help occupy safety attention. Um, Evans, I think has a really intriguing matchup this week, uh, going against Marshawn Lattimore, who, uh, has been roasted this year. Like Lattimore was, you know, the 2017 defensive rookie of the year looked like a potential future all pro. Uh, the Saints used him in shadow coverage quite a bit last year. He did shadow Mike Evans twice last year. Uh, in one of those games, Evans totally eviscerated him, uh, had almost 150 yards receiving. In the other game, it was a more modest, like 50 yards or something like that. But uh, you have Evans 
leading the league in air yards, and you have Lattimore, who has given up the most uh, receiving yards to opposing receivers this year. Um, it looks like it could be a smash matchup for Evans. So, uh, you know, I tend not to bet overs uh, on player props as as much as I can. Uh, I think the unders just tend to be a little bit sharper. But for Evans, I will definitely be looking towards the over whenever the number is released. Like I could just, I could see it being a little bit too low this week. So for his player props, especially for yards, I, I will probably be looking at the over. I think that I'm going to be in the same place. You know, once I run the GLSP for this week, I will definitely be popping over to my bookie, which is the place that I bet on football every weekend, looking up that Mike Evans prop. My bookie has the best bonuses and the best prop bets in the business. There's live in-game betting on every NFL game, rewarding player perks, fantasy over-unders, which I also absolutely love checking out the GLSP and then referring back to those. And they're even matching deposits up to $1,000 when you use the promo code ROTOVIZ. Where you bet is just as important as the teams and players that you bet on. That's why you need to head over to mybookie.ag and use the promo code ROTOVIZ. I really do love betting on mybookie. Uh, just so many different things that you can bet on each weekend. It's a great way to add a little extra flavor to the weekend. Uh, so definitely check out mybookie. Use the promo code ROTOVIZ. You bet, you win, they pay. Continuing down the air yards list, and you might even be able to hear now Henry the Cat uh, purring into the microphone as he tries to separate it from my face. By the way, Matt, I loved the use of the verb eviscerate. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, 142. We're looking on a per game basis. That's why he's in this list. Keenan Allen at 130. Marquise Brown at 127. Terry McLaurin at 123. Devontae Parker at 122. Kenny Galladay, 121. Did he do it again? Can you hear that? I can't hear it. Oh, all right. I can. He is now stepping on a key that is basically making a sound repeatedly in my head um, or in the headphones. Devontae Parker at 122, Kenny Galladay at 121, Julio Jones 119, John Brown 118. Those are the leaders, Matt. So I want you to tell me if Devontae Parker and John Brown are the players that are most likely to be removed from this list at the end of the season. And then outside of them, it may be the one name that you feel the best about remaining in this list. Hmm. It's a really good list. Um, I think like, you know, in there you have the explosive playmakers, uh, guys who are getting targeted downfield, uh, have a chance to break off a long touchdown each game. Uh, Parker. So it, in a technicality, I could see how Parker stays uh, on the list because, like, I could see a situation where maybe it's like week 10, he's underperforming. The team thinks it's probably his last year with the team. Uh, they bench him and just put someone else in. Mm-hmm. So, on a per game basis, he stays on the list because he's still getting air yards, but he's not producing with those air yards. Uh, and, and so he's benched. Uh, John Brown, I think, will also probably stay in the vicinity of this list because that's just his type of game. You know, uh, he has a strong armed quarterback. He's one of the faster wide receivers. Um, you know, he has that downfield ability, so I could see how he stays in this group. Um, the guy I feel maybe a little less confident in 
um, is actually Keenan Allen. Like, I think he will stay in this group, but he's the one guy who doesn't really like look like the others because he's more of a volume. He's gotten here on volume, not on uh, average depth of target. Right. And so yep. if his volume declines a little bit, uh, if, you know, Mike Williams returns, um, if, you know, they start to give the ball a little bit more to the running game or whatever it is, um, like Keenan Allen is not likely to continue to get 15 targets per game. Right. So if his volume declines, uh, I could see him falling out of the, the top 10 in the air yards list um, just because he doesn't really fit the profile of the other guys who are here. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And then the other thing that could happen too for Allen would be if Melvin Gordon gets back in and they start using um, Eckler a little bit more downfield as a receiver. Yeah. That could yeah. cut in just enough that it drops him out of the top 10. Uh, I also wanted to look at expected points for running backs. Um, on a per-game basis, you have McCaffrey at 24, then Le'Veon Bell at 19, Austin Eckler, who I just mentioned, at 19, Leonard Fournette at 18, Dalvin Cook at 17, David Johnson 17, Nick Chubb 17, Alvin Kamara 17, Damian Williams 17, Zeke Elliott 16, and Philip Lindsay 15. At the end of the season, who is going to be the player with the biggest change in their expected points from um, the end of the season compared yeah. to where we are now? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a layup, but it's got to be Austin Eckler. Um, just with the return of Melvin Gordon, he's going to see you know half of the workload that he's got now, you know, maybe even 40, 30% of it. I mean, he's, he's going to drop voluminously. Um, so yeah, I think he's the easy one to kind of see coming. Uh, and then the other one, maybe other two, I would say Damian Williams. Um, you could see how once he returns, um, he loses some of the snap share to uh, McCoy and then also to Daryl Williams, uh, who's, you know, looked pretty good as like a short yardage back. Uh, and then Philip Lindsay could lose, uh, he could lose volume to Royce Freeman. Although I think Lindsay is the better player, the more explosive player. Um, I could see him uh, continuing to lose uh, snap share to, to Royce Freeman. So I think those two guys, uh, in addition to Eckler, who's again, just kind of the obvious one. I was pretty much, uh, step for step with you there. I think the other player that we could possibly see a pretty big change with would be Christian McCaffrey, but that would just be him coming down to like 21, 20 points per game. But (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen, but that's perfectly okay. Right. Yeah. 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 He will, he will regress to merely being superhuman. (laughs) Yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so now we'll, we'll just kind of work through something similar to what we've done in the last couple of weeks, hitting on a couple of, uh, things that I found interesting from each game. So Jimmy Graham scored 12 points in week one on the Thursday night game against the Eagles, 18 points in weeks two and three, he combined for zero points on just three targets. So what's going on here? Is this just how it's going to be with Graham? Or do you think that we can see a situation where you can trust a more consistent workload each week? I have no idea what, what to make with Jimmy Graham. Um, just, I mean, he had nine targets. That was a lot uh, in in week four. Um, and, it, you know, it looked decent in that he had, uh, you know, six receptions, but he dropped a, you know, a potential touchdown. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't, I think they feel as if they want to get him the ball, but they don't actually want to get him the ball. Like, I know that's, that's really anecdotal and kind of like means nothing, but I, I feel like they were forcing it to him to make a point of seeing like, let's, 
let's understand what this guy has left. And although he ended up having a productive game, I still don't think it actually looked that good. So, you know, I don't know if you, if you have him in a best ball type of format, like I think it's fine. I think he's going to be, you know, inconsistent, but I don't think there's any way you can feel confident starting him in a 12 team league. I don't think that I really have a whole lot to add to that other than, um, like most years, it's it's just hard to find a tight end. Um, so, you know, you might have to make do with that performance, but I'm not sure that you're ever going to feel good about starting him in a particular week. Jordan, just, just to yep, say, just, yep. sorry, just to butt in here, like, can you imagine, this is like a retrospective thing where, like, it's hard for me to think of, like, regrets that I have now based on things that happened in the preseason, but part of that is maybe because I try to focus on process, but can you imagine being the person who drafted Jimmy Graham instead of Mark Andrews or like instead of, of Waller, like we, you just, it's this type of situation where like Graham, you know what you have in him, like within a, like a very narrow range of outcomes, you know, what type of player he is. Like there was so much upside with Andrews and with Waller uh, with some of these younger guys that like you should, you should basically never have someone like Jimmy Graham on your team. Yeah, that's a, that's a really fair point. And I think with some other positions, we've kind of seen um, elements of that that I'm sure when we reflect upon at the end of the season, we'll, we'll have a similar takeaway there. Um, fortunately, though, from just talking with you every week, I did get Andrews on a couple of teams, uh, which has really just been like a saving grace on those teams. So I can't get over how good he has looked. Um, I think we're going to talk about him later, though, on the show sheet so we can get more into him there. Player that looked really good in the Thursday night game, but might not be that good. Jordan Howard went off 87 rush yards and 15 attempts, three wrecks for 28 yards, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. Miles Sanders recorded just 5.7 expected points in this game. I am not expecting Jordan Howard to have a game like this every week, but do you think that this is concerning for Miles Sanders and his owners? Yeah, uh, it's definitely concerning um, because Jordan Howard looked pretty good. I mean, he is... He is Carlos Hyde-esque. You know, that's the the player that uh, I kind of compared him to, like Carlos Hyde, Jeremy Hill, like that type of player coming into the league. Um, he has the skill set to be, if not um, an efficient runner, a, a volume-based runner. Um, and sometimes, th- you know, that's what a team wants. They just want to give the ball to a guy who can handle getting 20 carries per game and who can sort of like, quote-unquote, guarantee you three yards each carry. So that's who he is. I think it's, it is disturbing um, because he had success, which means I don't really see them wanting to go all away from him fully, uh, at least in the short term. So, um, yeah, I mean, he played 53% of the snaps, the, the highest percentage of snaps played for him this year, uh, and he had his best game of the season. Like, I think they're going to continue to feed him a little bit. And even if they scale back his workload to – to something close to what he had been getting before, it's still going to be a split backfield. For sure. And and we have the tendency, I think, because we spend so much time looking at players, trying to figure out which players are better, to assume that teams are going to have some type of incentive or really want to get the better player in there. But like you said, if things have been working out, they really don't have any reason to change. I mean, if they're trying to win football games, they don't care if it's Jordan Howard or it's Miles Sanders. So... Uh, yeah, I don't think that if you're a Sanders owner, you're feeling very good right now. However, and can I, yep. can I just say something? There's like, I think, 
um, there's this massive bias against guys who don't catch the ball well. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it goes too far. Like, LeGarrette Blunt was still really valuable when he was scoring a lot of touchdowns. Like, how can we really say that Carlos Hyde is not a good player when he's had, um, you know, like over a thousand scrimmage yards each year? He has 4.3 yards per attempt for his career. Like, it's he's he's a good enough player. You know what I mean? So, like, if a team decides to give the ball to a good enough player, like, I can't really fault them for it. You know what's interesting too? I feel like um, Howard was a good example of this. Another good one is Jamal Williams. How sometimes in the preseason, we get focused on particular players and everybody is buying into Miles Sanders. But for some reason, we forget about guys like Howard and Williams who we can expect to be the second in line and have a better chance of perhaps finding larger roles than a player like Alexander Madison, but we always find ourselves going after that type of player than a guy like Williams or Howard, who it's very easy to see how they get that workload. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Marcus Mariota, three passing touchdowns against Atlanta. AJ Brown is confirming what we knew, Matt. He's a big, strong, talented wide receiver. Uh, However, though, he scored 24 points on an expectation of 5.3 and just three targets over the weekend. So uh, given that small sample, how are you feeling about him long-term? And as it relates to 2019, is he already in that group of players that we should be starting every week? I want to point out that he's at 17 points over his expected points expectation right now. So if you're looking at just those pure numbers, you're getting a different picture than his workload is actually dictating. Yeah, uh, I don't think you can start him because he's not playing even 50% of his snaps. Like he's, uh, so each each week I do a wide receiver cornerback piece uh, at Action Network. Uh, It's already published for week five. Um, And he's not like one of the three starting wide receivers. So like if you look at the matchups, like where's A.J. Brown? He's not on there because he's not a starter. Uh, He's rotating in regularly, but I don't think you can, I don't think you can start a guy who's getting, um, you know, three to five targets per game, even if he is efficient with those targets. And I think he has an incredibly bright future. I think he is already kind of ostensibly the number one receiver on the team in terms of like his ability and his future, even though he's not a starter mm-hmm. right now. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think you, you can start him in fantasy, but long-term. Yeah. I mean, pe- people should already be going crazy over him in dynasty. Completely agree. Mohamed Sanu has 31 targets on the season to Calvin Ridley's 23. He has 50 expected points. Ridley has just 42. Atlanta has a favorable schedule between weeks 5 and 14. The team itself is struggling, but I still think that uh, Mohamed Sanu seems like a decent add. Two-parter here. Are you worried about Calvin Ridley? He's had two pretty hard weeks um, back-to-back. Do you like Sanu as an ad, or do you think that Ridley's going to recover and kind of push Sanu out on the fringe? Yeah, I'm not that interested in Sanu because he has like a really, I think, low upside. He has the high floor of, you know, like he gets um, high percentage targets in the middle of the field. And I I did a a Fantasy Labs study, uh, I think a couple of seasons ago, maybe last year, but um, like Sanu's splits were pretty telling. Like he was getting all of his production pretty much when they were favored uh, and when the team had the ability to just kind of 
pile on points. So when they don't need to get him the ball, they can get him the ball. But like when they are down and they like actually need to be scoring points, they're not thinking about Muhammad Sanu. Like they're just focusing on the players who are actually good. And you know, that's Julio Jones. I think that's probably Calvin Ridley. Um, I, I think it's not, obviously it's not great for Ridley that he hasn't produced, uh, in the past couple of weeks, but, um, I think expectations for him were probably a little inflated entering the season anyway, because a lot of his production last year was based on touchdowns, which you could expect that that was going to regress. Uh, I I mean, I think at the end of the season, he's had a decent second year and he's someone who continues to improve into his third season. Jarvis Landry had an absolute day for his owners. It felt like it was about time. Eight wrecks on 10 targets, 167 yards. Odell Beckham Jr., just two wrecks on seven targets. Are we going to see games where they both go off or is that just not in the cards for this Browns team? I think so. It's just kind of like in the distribution of outcomes, you know, there will be a time in the future where Mayfield has a big passing game and, you know, it's a little more evenly distributed. So yeah, I think there will be games where both of those guys go off, but we probably do want to adjust down expectations. Like obviously week four was great for them, but we want to adjust expectations down uh, from where they were in the preseason. Like they're just, the, uh, that offense is not going to be as good as everyone was wanting it to be. Yeah. Uh, Nick Chubb, though, an absolute ridiculous game. The three rushing touchdowns showing just how explosive he is, lining up with what we thought that he could do coming out of college. Could have also had a fourth touchdown. Uh, the backup got it, though. Do you think that what we saw from Chubb is sustainable, not in that we're going to see, you know, three touchdown performance every week, but him just being a really strong RB1? Yeah, I think that part of the performance is sustainable. I think the, you know, 17 to 23, uh, like locked in carries per game with, you know, four targets, like he's a, a better receiving back than people anticipated coming out of college. Um, so like that usage, that is easily running back one type of usage. So then it's just a question of how efficient is he and is he getting goal line opportunities? But if he's getting just like volume, if he's getting like locked in, you know, 20 opportunities per game. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of guy you, uh, must roster each week and can kind of expect, uh, to have production going forward. It's really interesting because I, for as much as I loved Chubb, coming out of school was worried about his prospects of really being a top five running back this season because I was concerned about that Browns offense not being as good as we thought. And it looks like that might be the case. However, it's impacted the positions that I wasn't expecting being the wide receivers much more than it has at the running back. So I think I agree with you there. Uh, Marquise Brown has cooled off. However, Lamar Jackson continues to throw touchdown passes. Um, Boykin and Sneed both have two on pretty minimal targets. It's really been Brown and Mark Andrews who we talked about before. Um, Who are the Ravens wide receivers that you'd consider adding to your team, if any? Um, I'm probably not going to add either one of them. Sneed is the guy, even though he's, I don't think as talented as Boykin. Um, you know, like Boykin is sort of in an AJ Brown situation in that, uh, although he's getting some production, he's the number four receiver. He's playing clearly behind Seth Roberts. Um, so Sneed is on the field more often. Um, I think I would probably rather go with Sneed. 
Yeah, it's probably also worth noting, too, that uh, this touchdown that Snead had over the weekend, I think, came on like the last play of the game. Um, just keep that in mind when you're considering yeah. him. Um, Frank Gore, four and a half yards per carry, 109 yards this weekend. He's now fourth all time in rushing yards. This is not a fantasy related question, but historically, how good is Frank Gore? Uh, man, I don't, I don't remember if we've had this conversation, but like, he's the, uh, the Raphael Palmero uh, <laughs> of running backs. We haven't, we have, we, we've talked about Frank Gore a number of times, but I have not heard that before. Like, uh, an accumulator had just lots of seasons of, uh, like above average production, uh, for maybe only two years, uh, in his, I don't know, like, what is it? 15 year career or something like that. Has Gore uh, been, I'd say, like a a top three back? Um, you know, I th- for the most part, like his second season was awesome. Um, and then his 2009 season, uh, you know, a couple years after that was really good. Um, and then after that, it was like this steady decline where like year to year, you could maybe see uh, a little bit of a drop off, but it wasn't steep at all. You know, so he was still making Pro Bowls. And then 2014, um, there was like, there was a a noticeable decline. And that was his last year in San Francisco. And then, you know, you thought he would have one season with Indianapolis and that would be it. But like he continued to hang on and actually produce in Indianapolis, which I think that's like the most impressive part Mm -hmm. of his career is the longevity of it. So like, I think you can sort of excuse the fact that at no point or for maybe just like a very small point, was he a top running back in the league? Like a, like a clear top three running back, like for an extended period of time, he was a top eight quarterback, but no one cares if a guy's a top eight quarterback. That's not, I'm sorry, running back. That's, that's not what gets, gets him into the hall of fame. But the fact that he like, he lasted so long, like this second half of his career has lasted so long. Like that is amazingly impressive. Like look at LaShawn McCoy right now and uh, add five years to where he is now. And that's Frank Gore. Like that's pretty incredible. That is. Um, there has to be some type of skill or, or, or something that you can assign to this ridiculous level of durability at a position where there's normally such a steep drop off in the climb that, you know, even if Gore isn't one of these historically, you know, great players, I still think that you have to be extremely impressed with what he's done. And, you know, he definitely enters that Hall of Fame discussion, in, in my opinion. I'll be surprised if he doesn't get in. I think that he will. Oh, I, I think he's I think he's a locked in yeah. Hall of Famer, even though, like, I don't have much respect for him <laughs> on the upside. I know that sounds so weird. I just like. I don't feel as if he's a hall of famer in terms of like, Oh, this was a guy who was transcendent yep. at his best. But like the, the thesis with Gore for why he's a hall of famer has nothing to do with him at his best. It's just that his, his like above average game lasted so much longer than anyone else's at the position. Are you aware that Philip Dorsett, and this is an odd segue getting off of something like that. But are you aware that Philip Dorsett is averaging more points per game than Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman? I am painfully aware of this. And let me tell you why. Um, in my dynasty league, uh, you have to, like in the preseason, you have extended rosters and then you have to cut down. Okay. Yep. And um, and this is funny. It gets back to Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham has been on my dynasty team forever. 
And, uh, you know, he was awesome back in the day. So part of the reason why he's still on the team on the team is nostalgia because I, I don't want to cut him. He's impossible to trade. But it was it like for the last roster spot, it was down to, to Philip Dorsett and Jimmy Graham. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll keep Jimmy Graham. And I, I cut Dorsett. And now I'm hating myself every day for doing it because it's it's a best ball head to head format. <laughs> You know, and I even knew that, like, it was like, you know what? I should keep him. He, you know, I have Brady. So it'd be like, there's the stacking potential there. Whenever he scores a touchdown, it's going to be a long touchdown. Anyway. Yes. I'm aware that Dorsett is averaging more points per game than the other two receivers. He's still not as like, you know, quote unquote core to the Patriots passing game, but that kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Not good things. Um, if you paid up for Josh Gordon or Julian Edelman, Patrick Mahomes, no touchdown passes in yesterday's game against the Lions. Uh, however, though, um, two rushing touchdowns for Darrell Williams. He also saw eight carries. What do you expect to happen when Damian Williams gets back? And then after that, I want to know what you expect from the wide receivers when Hill returns. Okay, so um, I think it will be a split backfield. When uh, Damien comes back, I think uh, Damien is still going to get his opportunities, but Shady is going to get some usage. I think Daryl Williams has obviously carved out a piece of the pie. Uh, Darwin Thompson, I think, gets totally squeezed out. Like he's he's not really even in the mix now, but he gets totally squeezed out. Uh, with the wide receivers, I think Miko Hardman goes back to the bench um, and maybe rotates in a little bit more, and probably a little bit at the expense of Demarcus Robinson. Uh, and maybe, you know, a little bit at the expense of Hill and Watkins. But I, I think uh, Hardman is pretty clearly the fourth guy in that rotation when Hill returns. And uh, I think Hill pretty much has the the same upside that uh, he had before. But I think he maybe gets a little less volume, you know, like maybe one target less per game because uh, Demarcus Robinson and uh, and uh, Watkins to a little bit of an extent, um, you know, still usage from him. Watkins is one of those players that I've been feeling good about trotting out each week and then I realize it's really just based upon one game this season. Um, it's painful. Yeah, it is. Uh, on Johnson, though, 26 carries over the weekend. Any chance that Ty Johnson eats away into this opportunity as the season moves along? Or are we going to see Carrion just really carrying that uh, backfield? Yeah, I mean, it looks like Carrion's backfield. I mean, at some point... You have to figure that uh, just through you know, like sheer volume, uh, he starts to wear down or gets injured, or maybe they think, you know what, like we just have to save him. You know, like maybe they think, hey, we're actually going to make the playoffs. Uh, we need to kind of conserve a little bit. But um, yeah, it's I think it's clearly carry on Johnson's backfield. The thing that is still a little disappointing is that they're not using him nearly as much in the passing game as they could. Um, so I think he's still, his ceiling isn't quite as high as it could be, but, uh, yeah, obviously good things for him, uh, with all the opportunities he's getting. Well, Matt and I may sound smooth, professional and put together on the mic. If you saw us in person, you know that we're both slobs. Fortunately, Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe to become a well put together man. So there's hopes for guys like us. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. 
The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout plus. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming, expensive. There's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? It's about as challenging as choosing between Calvin Ridley or Tyler Boyd in your flex spot. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Blue Wire podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone in the top of the homepage, and type in blue, that's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code blue, ShipStation.com, make ship happen. I love that. That is my favorite tagline I have ever read on the show, Matt. Even better than uh, Precision Engineer Tools for the Family Jewels. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. So we, we covered Will, for, Will Fuller earlier. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins has gone over 13 points just once. Interestingly, Deshaun Watson expectation has an expected points per game of 17, but is averaging just 24 as the quarterback five. Are you with me that Hopkins and like we said earlier, Fuller at some point are going to, the pendulum is going to swing the other way and we're going to be looking at some big games from them. Yeah. Uh, all three of those guys are too good not to put up points. How big of a problem is it that Christian McCaffrey saw 10 targets over the weekend and Moore and Samuel combined for just six and DJ Moore just 46 air yards in that game? Uh, it's obviously not a problem for Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> um, but uh, for Moore and Samuel, I think it's a, a pretty big problem. Uh, Kyle Moore, I mean, he's looked good in two of his three starts. Um, he didn't look like horrible last week, but um, just looked a little more you know conservative in where he was willing to throw the ball. Um, you know, Moore uh, and Samuel are both, I, I think they're both really skilled guys in that they can play in the intermediate part of the field, but they can also get deep. Um, but he's just not looking for them right now. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's pretty concerning, but, um, I think, I mean, at some point, 
it'll stabilize. But I, I think their ceiling is uh, not what we would have wanted it to be entering the season. Yeah, it definitely isn't. Um, Darren Waller leads Oakland in expected points per game. He's ahead of Derek Carr. Not a good thing if you're a quarterback. How much of this is Waller just being an extremely talented player? And how much of this is just the way that Oakland runs their offense? Uh, half and half, maybe, um, which is kind of like uh, the ultimate cop out there. But um, I think he's obviously a, a skilled guy. Um, we knew, you know, coming out of uh, Georgia Tech that he was really physically dominant. Um, and so it had a lot of potential, but I think there were just questions about how he would transition to the NFL. Um, so I, you know, I think that took some time and he also had to deal with some injury issues. Uh, and as for Derek Carr, he's just, you know, he doesn't really have many options, uh, outside of Tyrell Williams. Um, he's, uh, you know, very desirous to throw the ball in the middle of the field. And, uh, it's kind of this perfect situation where Waller is there for him. Uh, and they're freeing Waller up quite a bit. So one, they're just playing him so many snaps. So he's just on the field a lot already. And then they're using him more as a route runner instead of an inline blocker. So they're freeing him up uh, to do the things he does well. So I, I think it's a, a combination. Like, I, I think if you put, um, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, Tyler Eifert. Or like you put someone else in that situation, they still might be getting uh, a high number of targets, but they wouldn't be doing as much with those targets. Um, but Waller's in the perfect situation where he's getting the targets and he's uh, dominant enough to do something with them. Naheem Hines, 11% of the opportunity share in Indianapolis, which is third on the team. Over the weekend, six receptions, had over 10 points. Uh, Zach Pascal seven targets. Uh, Chester Rogers, six. Is there any hope for any of those three players being usable options on a weekly basis? Not really, because if for them to be usable, like you, they have to have some consistency. And also T.Y. Hilton's going to return at some point. Uh, yeah. And when that happens, a lot of those targets uh, go away. So, no, not really interested in them. Fair enough. Are the Chargers better off? And I know we talked about Austin Eckler and that um, expected points per game going away. But is it possible the team is actually better off with Austin Eckler in at running back than having Melvin Gordon there? Yeah. Um, that is possible. Uh, but, uh, I, I think what is best for them is to have both, um, because they stay fresher. Um, I think Eckler can be on the field at the same time with Gordon and that can maybe give them some kind of interesting alignments that defenses aren't really prepared for. I think they are best with both of them, uh, especially now that, uh, Justin Jackson is out. Um, so yeah, I think they are best with both of them. Josh Rosen, 15 points under expectations on the season. How bad are the situations that he's been given? Uh, and can we determine anything about him at this point with the organizations and the offenses that he's been in? Mm, yeah, I don't know if we can determine much, but um, you would hope that even if he even if he were in a bad situation, he would have been able to flash more than he has. So um, I think the future is not good for him. Uh, I think the Dolphins are pretty clearly going to be looking at the quarterback position in next year's draft, and I, I think they should. Um, so, yeah, all around negative for him and negative for the the pass catchers who have to rely on him. Sure. So that, that's going to impact uh, Devontae Parker. Also, Preston Williams leads the team in, in expected points, but I don't think that we even care about Dolphins receivers at this point. Yeah, probably not. I mean, Williams is intriguing for the future. 
um, cause he, you know, was a highly, uh, highly recruited player in high school. Um, you know, flashed in college. Uh, you know, he's looked pretty decent actually in the NFL, especially for an undrafted rookie in this situation. Um, he, he's not reliable, um, because of the situation he's in, but he is really intriguing, uh, for the future. All right. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was awful yesterday. Case Keenum has not been good. Adrian Peterson, 11 characters, 28 yards. Chris Thompson was okay. McLaurin was out when he gets back, like the rest of the players in this offense. You have to be worried about him. But with how good he was in those first couple of games, can he transcend this seemingly terrible situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much just based on three games, but he has looked really good through three games. And, uh, you know, he was a third round pick uh, in the NFL draft. That's, you know, that's not a lot, but that's not insignificant. Um, you know, like if a team spends a third rounder on a receiver, they probably want him to start. And the fact that he has started right away speaks well. Uh, he's, you know, big and fast. So like, he's got the physical profile you want. Uh, I think there's actually a lot to like about him. Uh, if you just overlook the fact that he wasn't really all that productive in college, um, which at this point I think is pretty easy to overlook. Like he's the clear number one receiver. Um, so I expect him to continue to get target share and it might help, uh, conceivably, although this is really just narrative, it might help that Dwayne Haskins uh, will be the quarterback at some point because at least they do have uh, a connection that's you know been established uh, in college. So uh, not all that worried about McLaurin. Um, my, my worry about him would be more like less to do with his situation and more to do with the fact that he is a rookie and he probably even even though I think he's better now than I thought he was when he entered the league, um, he probably is still going to regress uh, back to like what expectations would be for a third-round rookie. I don't own him on any teams, but I think he's the only Redskins player that I'm okay on. I'm not, I wouldn't be panicking on. Um, yeah. Wayne Gallman, thoughts on the performance from the weekend? I think he scored nearly 30 uh, fantasy points, was used as a receiver, as a rusher, had some pretty decent success. As we move forward with him filling in for Saquon Barkley, can we expect more of this? Um, I mean, I think we can expect him to get the usage um, that he had. I don't think we can expect him to uh, put up all of those touchdowns. Um, and But I think we actually can expect him to uh, be fairly inefficient with his touches. Like, he's just – he's not that – efficient of a runner. He's kind of an average runner and uh, you know, whatever, that's fine. As long as they continue to give him the targets, that's the important thing. And uh, you know, if the giants are good enough to get in the red zone where he has the opportunity to score touchdowns, that's really important. So, I mean, I think like 15 carries is more reasonable than the 18 carries. And I think, you know, four targets is more reasonable than the seven targets that he had. You know, let's assume that in the future, uh, the Giants are playing a better team than the Redskins. Uh, and so that team holds the ball longer. And so, you know, the, the Giants offense has fewer opportunities overall. Um, so uh, we shouldn't ex- we shouldn't expect, obviously, this, I mean, this is this goes without saying like a peak performance like <laughs> he had in week four. But we we should expect him to continue to be the clear lead back. Uh, until Saquon Barkley gets back. And that is, you know, that's like a significant role. Yeah, I, I think that if you own Coleman, you you have him in that lineup until something stands out that's going to really make you question it. You, you go ahead and start him every week. Yeah, he's locked in as a starter. Absolutely. The dynasty value of Will Disley, what is it? Um, Just get, let's I, put I it mean, like this. We, we can now he, agree that he's good. 
Yeah, he's. We can agree that he is probably good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be a smartass. Like he's. Um, I think we can agree that he's in a a situation with a quarterback who likes to throw to tight ends, and he's good enough to take uh, advantage of that. Like, l- like let's not forget that like once upon a time, like Cameron Brait had a good season. Uh, I can't remember the name of like the guy from the Browns like a couple of years ago who had a good season. Oh, like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I made a huge trade for him that won me my league because I traded him for Cam. What was his name? I don't remember it, but continue. Yeah, I mean, there are these guys. It's not it's not garbage, but it's something like that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, are, there are these guys at the tight end position who like really aren't all that good as athletes, um, but who, you know, for whatever reason, kind of catch fire. Um, I think that might be like Will Disley, except he's he's better than those guys. But I wouldn't go the distance of saying like he's in terms of his talent. I don't think he's a top five guy, but like his uh, slightly above average talent plus his good offensive situation makes him a top eight tight end. Okay, Uh, we saw Andy Isabella. We saw an Andy Isabella sighting in the rushing game yesterday. we're not going to see a whole lot from him this season, I don't think. But no. thoughts on Arizona's offense compared to what we talked about in the preseason for our, our expectations? Uh, it's really disappointing. Uh, I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it. Um, you know, we were expecting a a vertical, aggressive downfield passing scheme um, with, I would say, like kind of intelligent running, um, and we just we haven't we haven't seen that. Um, I think uh, Rich Rebar described this as the uh, horizontal air raid, the the, the horizontal raid instead of the air raid, which uh, is pretty accurate. Like in in, in the first two weeks of the season, they were much more aggressive in pushing the ball downfield. Like Larry Fitzgerald was having like a record year in terms of like air yards, which is like, whoa, where was this coming from? Uh, But for the past two weeks, they've been very limited. And maybe that's just because of the type of defense that they faced. Um, Maybe teams are, you know, playing them uh you know just like a little bit deeper so they have to settle for more underneath passes it's but it's just it's a situation where uh we really have to adjust expectations which uh hurts me to say because kyler murray is the guy most affected by this for sure and i was happy to see that david johnson has had some usage as a receiver but overall i'm i'm just really disappointed in this offense, moving off of them, though, let's talk about Chris Godwin now, who went absolutely bananas against the Rams. 14 targets to Evan Seven. Both did find the end zone. Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber also got in the end zone. The Bucks came to play. We know that Godwin and Evans are both good receivers. I'm not expecting performances from Godwin like this every week, but does this game signal to you that maybe the Buccaneers offense is going to be the team that actually does take that significant step forward? Maybe. I mean, I, I have respect for the, the Rams defense. Like it's pretty inconsistent, but, um, and I mean, the, the bucks have been really inconsistent this year. Um, but maybe they're, they're taking that step. I just, I think it's hard to trust any team that's quarterbacked by Jameis Winston, because like at this point we have four years of data, um, highlighting how volatile he is. So it, it would not be a surprising if next week he came out and had one touchdown and four interceptions like that would that would feel like a very Jameis Winston game following the game he just had. 
So I'm not going to get too excited about it, but like, it is nice to see them hit this peak of this peak performance. And yeah, maybe they become a little more consistent and do it again. Um, what I think was encouraging was um, how good Ronald Jones looked. And like, you don't even see it in the stats because he had like 70 yards worth of, of runs. And I think a touchdown, uh, you know, that was called. Yeah. Back. Yep. Um, so he, I think he's established himself as someone who really deserves to be the number one runner uh, in that backfield, whether he gets that opportunity or not, who knows. Um, but he, and he's also looked pretty good in the receiving game. They haven't given him many targets, but you know, he's turned all three of his targets into receptions for 71 yards. Like they, I think they should be featuring him a little bit more in the running game. Sorry. Uh, in, in the passing game. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest thing that I have, um, taken away from just watching some of the Bucks games is that Jones does have elements to his rushing skill set that I did not give him enough credit for. There was times he was pushing through players, um, driving through contact, you know, all of those terms that you normally hear from people that watch film. Yeah. But, you know, he has more going on. He's a different type of runner than I was giving him credit for. Yeah, he has looked much stronger than I anticipated. Yeah. I think he's he's put on, you know, some, you know, quote unquote, like man muscle since entering the league. Uh, he just, yeah, he looks different physically than he did, uh, I think, a year and a half ago when he was a draft prospect. Yeah, definitely can do more than just that downfield running using the speed that we were concerned about. So I think he's addressed those concerns. In regard to Godwin and Evans, I think we are looking at a situation where it's conceivable Evans finishes as a wide receiver one, Godwin finishes as a wide receiver two. Uh, I do think, though, that when the season is said and done, we're going to see Evans remaining the player that gets the higher usage and finishes with more fantasy points. Stefan Diggs finally has a wide receiver two level performance. However, Kirk Cousins threw just 36 times. I think there was just one target for Adam Thielen. I am not sure that we should change our opinion on Diggs after this game. And I am still extremely worried about both of these receivers. And I don't feel good about starting them each week. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there. Um, the performance last week changes almost nothing. Um, in terms of how I evaluate Diggs, like a talented player who uh, is not going to be getting the ball nearly as much as we want him to. Yeah, it, it it sucks, but you just have to accept the fact that neither Diggs nor Thielen are the player you want. And until you see this get repeated for three or four games, which at this point is a very substantial chunk of the season, uh, you have to be very worried. The impact of the Mitchell Trubisky injury on the Bears offense. A clear upgrade. You, yeah, you actually think that, right? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know because I, I know you I, don't like Trubisky. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to say it's an it's an upgrade, but I think uh, Daniel is more consistent. You know, so I think that gives the the Bears a better chance of staying competitive each week. Um, but I think he also doesn't have like that volatility, which means uh, the Bears' offense doesn't have the same ceiling. So it's just, it's a different style of offense with Daniel in there. For sure. Um, Raquel Armstead got his first touchdown of his NFL career in a reception. He also had eight attempts. He was hurt in the preseason. So there were concerns heading into the season. He kind of came off that list of late round ads. Is he worth adding at this point? Do you think we can see him find a way now into a significant role for Jacksonville? 
Yeah, I mean, he's worth adding in that he's the backup behind uh, a runner who has gotten injured on a team that likes to run the ball a lot. So he's definitely worth adding. I don't know if on his own he's going to um, you know, be getting eight targets, sorry, uh, eight, eight touches per week. Yep. Um, but he definitely is worth having on your team. Yeah, because I think it's encouraging when you see him just get into the mix, even if it's just that, uh, you know, that receiving touchdown and not necessarily like, you know, high leverage rushing attempts. But I would start to to keep my eye on him because like you said, Fournette has had injury concerns in the past. Perhaps if this offense was more explosive, you'd be more interested in a player like him. But I do think he's keep working uh, worth keeping our eye on. Final player that we will talk about tonight, Matt. Cortland Sutton had the first wide receiver one week of his career. He had two touchdowns, which certainly helped. Flacco has been supporting he and Sanders as viable fantasy options. He could certainly finish as a wide receiver too. At this point, is that your expectation for him? Uh, I don't. I don't know if wide receiver too, but we'll say like whatever. Um Galladay did last year in his second season is like a fair estimate for what we could expect out of Sutton in his second season. Like, I think he, he's certainly shown that he has the ability. Um, he's not as explosive as Galladay is, but he has like good downfield contested catch ability. Um, and I think what's interesting is like how, um, all right. So to, to put this in more perspective, like the, the chargers last year used, uh, Casey Hayward, uh, twice in their matchups to shadow Sutton. Um, and, you know, part of that is just because at that point, Demarius Thomas was gone. I believe Emmanuel Sanders was injured. So it was like, who else were they going to, to, you know, put Hayward on, but they easily could have had Hayward just stay on his side of the field, you know, but they, they were like, no, we're going to have him follow Sutton around. Like Sutton is, is a guy who has the, the upside of, of being actually like a true uh, wide receiver one. Um, I don't think he, he gets there consistently this year, but I think that's his future. How are you feeling about that Cowboys game from last night? It was horrible. <laughs> um, I, I really, I was disgusted by what was happening. Um, it, it was like Scott Linehan was, was calling plays that like, that was the fear. Like that game is the fear that I had of the Kellen Moore era. Right. That, um, you know, given that he had like kind of come up in the Scott Linehan system that it would basically be like a younger version of Linehan calling plays. And even if, if it were a little more creative, they would still be doing things that were suboptimal. And for the first few weeks of the season, uh, I was really impressed. Uh, you know, teams are going to be inconsistent last, last week. Uh, you know, not so good. Um, you know, we'll just, we'll see what happens in week five. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, because I was really enjoying this new look Cowboys offense. Things get back to how they had been prior for the Cowboys. The final thing I want to mention, I don't know if anybody cares about this, but I actually now, uh, despite my pessimistic outlook for Lamar Jackson, I'm absolutely loving watching him and the Ravens. Uh, So I'm pulling for Lamar Jackson. I also, given what happened last season, have been really pulling for Josh Allen. So I'm hoping that uh, we see a nice recovery. Hopefully uh, he gets back on the field and, uh, you know, we can we can have some more uh, exciting and impressive performances from those two to talk about. That's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattF. The Oracle, uh, you can always send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.